0: Finland. Suomi. United States of America. USA. 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 USA.
1: USA. USA. USA.
2: America.
3: I'm grateful for this opportunity of saying a few words to you in the United States at this so grave and serious moment.
2: This is Elias Erko, Minister for Foreign Affairs in Finland in the year 1939, giving a speech on a Thursday, November 30th. In English, directed especially for the American audience.
3: In spite of the fact that Finland's sole desire has been to live in peace in her own corner, on good terms with her neighbors, the war is upon us.
2: Only hours before, the Red Army of the Soviet Union had launched an attack on Finland.
3: And has today attacked us, bombing not only defense positions and fortifications and the frontier, but peaceful towns as well, destroying schools and spreading the terror of war over this country.
2: You're listening to the Me Finland podcast, a podcast by the Finnish diplomatic missions here in the United States. My name is Satu Järveläinen. I work at the Embassy of Finland in Washington, D.C. as the communications coordinator. I'm leading you through conversations about the winter war. Since it is very hard to cover any major historical events fully in mere one podcast episode, I will provide some links in the description of the episode for further reading on everything from the women's role in the war effort to the famous farm boy turned legendary sniper Mr. Simo Häyhä.
0: Suomi. Finland.
2: First part of this episode focuses on Finnish perspectives on the war. Let's start with Colonel Petri Seppalä, military naval and air attaché from Finland to Canada and the U.S. So could you briefly please try to recap for our listeners uh, who might not be familiar with this, the what is or what was actually Winter War?
4: Winter War is, is part of the Second World War. It's part of the Great Powers uh, policies. And Finland as a small nation, we were just a, a kind of a part of that weaker play
2: and how long did this war last?
4: It lasted only 105 days. So it, it started late November in 1939, and it ended 13th of, uh, of March, 1940. And uh, it was short, but it was bloody. And um, finally, we were able, uh, as a nation, to maintain our independence, but still we lost some of finnish areas and of course when you are losing a war it's it's never it's never a happy ending but we are still proud that we were able to stand against a much more much more powerful nation
2: why is winter war so significant still why is the legacy of winter war so significant to the story of modern finland
4: why finland is number 1 in so many so many areas in the world talking about education equality freedom of speech uh, uh, the lack of corruption or whatever I think winter war w- was one of those biggest enablers to, to make it true so it was a, a classical fight uh, between the really small underdog against uh, really powerful bigger in in every possible way enemy like david against goliath so i think it was a classical example of that and why is it still so important in 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 uh, finland even 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 nowadays i think uh, winter war was in a way enabler of uh, our society to become later what we actually are today because if we would have not been able to unify our nation, we would have been totally different kind of country, probably part of some other country during the fifties sixties and so on and that would mean that we would be totally different kind of nation nowadays so that's that's my argument that I think it was one of the one of the one of the strongest enablers to to made that to make us what we actually are today
2: against all odds. Finland mounted a stubborn defense against the Soviet aggression. Professor of Contemporary History Kimo Rentola from the University of Helsinki shares some background on events in Europe which led to the Second World War and also the Winter War.
0: In August '39, uh, when, when Hitler was planning to attack Poland, he offered and the Soviets accepted to make a deal, so that they, they divided the countries between them. The main part of Poland went to, to the Germans, and uh, eastern part of Poland and the three Baltic Republics and Finland and part of Romania were given to Stalin. And they, they agreed a division of areas between them. And it was all fulfilled, All the, the agreement was fulfilled, except as for Finland. Finland was the only one who escaped. Uh, Finland was in the Soviet sphere, but Finland was not willing to join that sphere.
2: Now it's time for a quick history recap. By the time of Winter War, Finland was actually still a very young nation, having been over 600 years part of the Swedish Kingdom, then spending a century as an autonomous Grand Duchy in the Russian Empire. Finland gained independence from Russia in 1917, and the following year the newly formed nation was divided by a bitter civil war between the Reds and the Whites. The Red Guards originated mainly from the working class, and benefited from backing by Russian Bolshevik leaders who wanted Finland to become a socialist republic. The White Guards represented mostly the upper and middle classes, farmers and peasantry, and benefited from German support. After 108 days of heavy fighting, and in the aftermath of the Civil War, approximately 37,000 Finns were killed, around 10,000 more than in Finland's Winter War against the Soviet Union two decades later. General Mannerheim led the White Guards to victory in May 1918, but the animosity between the Reds and the Whites didn't end with the end of Civil War. Yle News, the Finnish public broadcasting company, writes in its article about the centennial of the civil war that youth associations, sports clubs and even retail shops catered to either one or the other. People had to be careful which concerts and events they participated in as it communicated a message about their political sympathies. Professor Rentola speaks about the healing process of Finland post-civil war and how it contributed to the future of the nation. And what kind of significance does it have that Finland had a civil war in 1918 and it is said that winter war brought the nation together to fight against a common enemy. Do you feel like that kind of played into the the part also somehow?
0: There was this uh, civil war uh, 20 years earlier uh, which was very bitter and and many people were killed uh, then in the war and after the war. uh, And it was a bitter experience uh, but... Uh, the peacemaking between the parts had begun already before the Winter War in, in, from 1937 there was an elected government in Finland uh, of the Social Democrats and, and Central Party or, or the Agrarian Party as it was called at that time and uh, it was the first government where both sides of the civil war were represented in and, and it began the development towards the, the Nordic model of society from 37 on. And, and, and people saw that this is going, people in general saw that, that this is going in the good direction and, and there's many things to defend here. And and then also I think the, the Stalinist terror in the Soviet Union contributed because after the Civil War uh, many Finnish uh, read, uh, from the Red Side, the leaders and, and also the regular Red Guardists had uh, gone to the Soviet Union and they were almost all killed in the Stalinist terror in, in the late 30s. And so even the communists in Finland saw that uh, probably the, the faith there would be rather bad. They didn't know exactly what happened in the Soviet Union uh, to the, the Red Finns, but, but they knew that something bad has happened. Because all correspondents were cut, cut, you didn't hear anything, uh, only bad rumors and, and, and things like that. And they knew that uh, very bad things had been done to them. I've been now researching in the archives their fates and it's not a, not a nice thing to do.
2: Let's go through some numbers about the Winter War. Back in the day, Finland's population was around 4 million, and the Soviet Union had a population of about 170 million. When the war started in late November 1939, Finland deployed about 295,000 men in nine divisions. The number later grew to over 330,000 during the whole war. In total Finland had 32 tanks and a little over 100 aircraft to use to defend the nation. The Soviet Union sent 21 divisions of about 450,000 men for an attack in late November. Their numbers grew approximately to 1 million soldiers during the whole war and had over 3,000 tanks and over 3,500 aircraft on their side. Now, let's pass the microphone back to Professor Rentala and Colonel Seppala.
0: Finland was able to to preserve its independence in a war against the Soviet Union which was several times bigger and and, uh, and Finland did it twice first in the Winter War and then in 1944 again when the Soviet attacked with great force and and the only country between Germany and, and Russia which was able
4: to do that uh, When uh, one Finn uh, was fall down I think uh, at the same time there were Seven or eight uh, uh, Soviet Union soldiers falling down. So that's the ratio that we we had to be able to fight, to be able to to maintain our independence. There are things that the, that are not only based on the numbers. Of course, in the war and in on the battle battlefield, the numbers they they, they do matter, but they are not the only thing that matters.
0: The main idea was the the unity of the, of the people fighting against the enemy. I think the Soviets contributed uh, themselves by that because they, uh, they put up a, a puppet government for Finland because before the war they demanded a transfer of border and, and some islands in the Baltic Sea and, and things like that. But then when they attacked uh, they, they set up a government which means that uh, they want the whole country. And, and I think that was part of, of the thing that created willingness to, to fight back and, and of course the Finns were able to, to do that because at that time there were thousands of young men who were used to work outside in winter conditions. It was very harsh winter and luckily we had young men who were able to do the deed in, in the front.
2: The women's organizations participated in the Finnish war efforts too. One of the biggest ones was called the Lottasväärd organization. They had a national defense role during the Second World War. Colonel Seppälä.
4: We didn't use uh, females at the time uh, in, in the in the in the combat uh, missions, but they were uh, in many other ways. They were part of really important part of how we fought. So a lot was the association that they actually took care of the the wounded ones. They they were part of the logistical systems and they they took care of the of the home front things and they were part of. Uh, doing the air surveillance and and many other tasks. So without the the Lottas, I think uh, the war would have been different and you never know, maybe it would have ended in a different way.
0: Suomi, Finland. On the Soviet side, there were, for instance, Ukrainian troops and and people like that who were not used in in the conditions in in the snowy forests, uh, having a fight. No deal for them.
4: There were some, some people from uh, really south trying to fight in the minus 40 Celsius degree, degrees uh, climate, and it it didn't work.
2: Bear in mind that minus 40 Celsius also means minus 40 Fahrenheit, so the weather conditions were extremely harsh during the Winter War. Colonel Zepala continues on Stalin's mistakes in organising the invasion.
4: Tactically, there were a lot of mistakes. One of those were probably that... Uh, Maybe he should have attacked during the summertime when he would be able to use those capabilities of the Soviet Union army or the armed forces at the time better. I think uh, Stalin overestimated uh, their strength uh, or strength of the Soviet Union army and he underestimated the strength of the Finnish the United Nations, uh, as a as, as Finnish nation, as to fight against Soviet Union. So I think there were some overestimation and some underestimation, which caused uh, a lot of uh, uh, casualties to the Soviet Union.
2: On Finland's side, the casualties of the Winter War came to over 66,000 men overall, with over 24,000 lives lost. On the Soviet Union side, casualties totaled in over 315,000 men overall with, according to best estimates, over 125,000 dead or missing, 188,000 wounded and over 5,000 taken as prisoner. These numbers give some insight on why it is often called the miracle of Winter War, when brave little Finland was able to defend herself so well against the big Soviet Red Army, even though at the end Finland lost the war. What are some of the the elements of the Finnish, um, either the intelligence side or the warfare, that really helped to basically help us to keep our independence?
0: The warfare st- side, the fin- Finns had uh, very clear advantage because uh, they were not uh, afraid of going into the forest. Uh, the Russians uh, stick to the road. And, and, and when you try to uh, drive uh, let's say 20,000 guys uh, with weapons and, and trucks and uh, uh, tanks uh, on a small forest road, uh, the quiz uh, 10 miles, uh, 20 miles, and the Finns went through the forest and, and cut it. And, and most of the Russian soldiers at that time, they, they didn't want to go in the forest, and, and that gave the Finns the possibility to stop the attack.
4: Finland was really, really well uh, aware of the climate, aware of the circumstances, aware of the environment, and we were able to create some tactics that were were really useful from the underdogs' point of view. We were able to exploit the the the, the forest thin uh, thick forests, and we were able to exploit the 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 icy lakes and uh, and snowy winter. That was the reason that we were so successful. And we were at the same time we were able to prevent Soviet Union armed forces to use their really strong
2: capabilities. Despite successful guerrilla-style warfare, it soon became clear that Finland could not prevail very long without more outside assistance. Finland's neighboring country, Sweden, wanted to stay neutral during the Second World War, but sent in thousands of volunteers, alongside with Denmark, Estonia and Norway, just to name a few countries. In addition, many Finnish immigrants returned to help their home country. Almost 400 Finnish immigrants from the United States returned and volunteered to fight. It has also been estimated that in March 1940, when peace already was formed, almost 1,000 more Finnish Americans were waiting to be shipped to Finland. Altogether, the total estimated amount of foreign volunteer fighters is around 11,600. Professor Rentola continues.
0: In the beginning, uh, it really saw to be so that uh, nobody helps. But then uh, when the Finns fought back, and, and it gave time for others to, to plan helping. Uh, Sweden helped a lot. Sweden doesn't have this reputation in Finland because Finns usually think that they were alone, but but Sweden gave artillery, uh, airplanes with pilots, and, uh, and a lot of financial support, and also diplomatic support. So the Sweden's role was uh, quite big. And then the Western powers, even if they were already at war with Germany, but they were not waging that war yet, they were planning to, to uh, help Finland, and Stalin and, and, the, and the guys in, in Moscow, they were not so much afraid of uh, Western plans to, to come to northern Norway and northern Sweden, because they knew that the Englishmen and, and Frenchmen, they are not very good in, in northern warfare, probably, and, and things like that. But the Western powers also developed a plan to bomb Baku, which was the main oil city. Of the Soviet Union, 95 percent of the gasoline g- came from the, that area, and and that was terrible. Stalin was very much afraid of, and that's why he made peace with Finns because to prevent this, the bombing of his oil.
2: Arendola explains how Great Britain and their Prime Minister at the time, Winston Churchill's role, are tied to Finland's fate in the Second World War.
0: Uh, before the Winter War, Churchill was rather pro-Russian because uh, he wanted uh, the Russians to have bad relations with Germany and, and things like that. And uh, but uh, but then during the Winter War, when when he saw how the Finns fought, he he became very enthusiastic of, of it. And 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 the Finns show what the free men can do. He he said in the Parliament and. Uh, and he was the main architect of the, those western plans of invasion by bombing and, and other things against Soviets uh, at that time and, and he remembered that and, and when in, in the next war Finland allied with Germany to get back what we lost in the Winter War and, and then Stalin wanted that Britain also declare war on, on Finland and Churchill was very reluctant because of his experience during the Winter War And, and but then in the end he or the, Brit- the British declared war on Finland, but they didn't do anything. There was no, no warfare between uh, Finland and, and the Great Britain. And in the end, it turned out that it, it was uh, a fortune for Finland that we were at war with Britain, because it meant that when the peace terms were agreed, the British were taking part, which was very important for Finland. We were not only uh, the Finland and the Soviet Union, but also the British were
2: taking part. Do you think the war could have been avoided somehow? Was there any chance that we could not have gone to war?
0: I think it w- could have been avoided in, in, in the negotiations in, in, uh, during the fall of thirty nine, when the Soviets demanded uh, border transfer and, and islands and, and something like that. Uh, if the Finns had signed, then the war would have been avoided. But of course, there's the question, what next? Because the Baltic states, the three Baltic republics, they signed such agreements with the the Soviet Union. And at first they were contented, we didn't have to do anything more. But then next summer they were uh, incorporated in the Soviet Union. And it's hard to avoid the the idea that uh, this would have been there also for the Finns next summer. It would have postponed it. But we couldn't have avoided it in, in, in the Second World War situation. Suomi. Finland.
3: I send you, send to you, great American people, the warm greetings of little democratic Finland in her hour of adversity and anxiety. And thank you for all you have done for us and also for the support you have given us in so many ways. Please remember us in your
5: prayers.
2: Now it is time to hear some American thoughts on the Winter
1: War.
5: I'm David Hogan. I'm Director of Histories at the U.S. Army Center of Military History.
1: I'm Stephen Kotkin, and I'm a professor at Princeton University and a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University.
2: What do you think every American should know about Winter War?
1: When Americans think about World War II, they think predominantly about the Normandy landing in June 1944, known as D-Day, and then of course the capitulation of Germany in the next year, 1945. They also think about some of the great battles in the Pacific in the war against Japan. Americans don't know as well uh, the war in the fullness of how it was fought, and that includes the... German-Soviet War on the Eastern Front, but it also includes this important war, which predated the German invasion, the 1940, 39-40 uh, Soviet-Finnish War. What's important about the war, like all the episodes in the run-up to World War II, is how much what came after was partly determined by these prior episodes. So
5: the Winter War was a period when America was, in a sense, in, re- in uh, keeping a low profile, so to speak. It's not that we were isolationist in the sense that we would cut off ourselves from the world. We still had trade ties, and we were still involved in a lot of international diplomacy. But but um, our tolerance for international intervention was extremely limited. We were very suspicious after our involvement in World War I of getting dragged into things that into war f- wars that weren't, in our view, any of our business. And uh, we were suspicious of being pulled in by munitions loans, um, agreements that would be good for us economically, but not necessarily in our interests down the road. And, but at what point, when there is an evil in the world on the loose, do you have to stand up and do something in, in concert with other nations?
2: Professor Kim Morendola from the University of Helsinki elaborates on the global power dynamics of the time.
5: There was a
0: quite wide general sympathy for Finland uh, during the Winter War in the United States, but in practical terms, uh, at that time, the United States was not yet the world power. It became after the in the Second World War and after the, the war, uh, it was quite far away. And in practical terms, uh, the U.S. role was not so great. The, the British... Even the French, Germans, uh, they were the at that time the main powers, and the Soviet Union, of course. Uh, but the, the U.S. were the, were there. They were sympathetic and and they gave money and and uh, wrote quite a lot in the newspapers, but uh, they couldn't do much more.
2: And because of the distance and because the of time. the distance,
0: yeah, and the times, it was a rather short time, till three months only in, in the winter. Show.
2: The U.S. was not able to provide military material assistance to Finland. Despite this, the average Americans and celebrities sympathized with brave little Finland and rushed to offer aid. Former President Herbert Hoover initiated a national effort, the Finnish Relief Fund, to support Finnish civilians. In his speech, he said, quote, "...never has there been a more appealing cause. It is for us to accept this obligation in the name of humanity." We have the resources to do it without depriving our own people. If we serve Finland today, we are protecting those ideals in the world for which our nation stands. We can make a reality of the sympathy that lies in the hearts of the American people, By March 1940, the fund had raised $2.5 million to aid Finland. Professor Kotkin continues on the Americans' perspectives at the time on the Second World War.
1: Most Americans were fearful of being dragged into the war. They didn't necessarily see it as a war that involved America. It was being fought abroad. And therefore, avoid involvement was the predominant sentiment. Not everyone. Some people were arguing that America had a duty to get involved, and they were arguing it either for morality purposes, as was mentioned or because of national interest purposes, because if we allowed our friends and other countries to be defeated, we ourselves would then become vulnerable to the victors at some point. We've now lived through a number of recent wars, which are continuing, and which have continued for much longer than World War II. So today's Americans can understand the sentiment of caution in being involved in these foreign wars. The problem is not all wars are the same. Not all situations are equal and the imperative to get involved depends of course greatly on the specific circumstances and so you have to be careful if you get involved in certain wars and the population gets tired of that involvement, when something really important comes along you may not be able to rise to the occasion.
2: Dr. Hogan has worked for the U.S. Army Center of Military History for over 30 years and serves now as Director of Histories, supervising the preparation of the official histories of the U.S. Army. Sharing his expertise with us, he ponders the moral aspects of engaging in a war.
5: When I think of the Russo-Finnish War, I think Americans should take into account the problem if you're going to take a view of the world that's the rest of the world that's their problem and that's something we need to worry about at what point do you get do you uh, ignore the spectacle of a small nation being attacked by a much larger one for a flat out territorial gain at what point do, do you have to move past Realpolitik politique and start talking in terms of uh, morals and proper international behavior and if, that's, and if so, what do you do about it beyond uh, expressions of sympathy and, uh, and goodwill? I think one of the things that's interesting here is what impact is there, how much does moral influence count in international affairs? The, 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 the Soviet Union was taking a beating in terms of world opinion
2: The role of international press was crucial in covering the events of the Winter War and aiding to gain sympathy for Finland. Professor Kotkin has researched and written extensively about Stalin.
1: First of all, the Soviet Union claimed to be for peace and not an aggressive power, and that was lost in the invasion of Finland. Opinion globally no longer felt, to the extent people did feel beforehand, Fewer and fewer felt that the Soviet Union stood for peace rather than being an aggressor. In addition, the Soviet Union's inability to conquer Finland as quickly as the Nazi army had conquered France and Poland also damaged the Soviet reputation. People didn't say, well, the winter conditions would require a longer war. They said Hitler took four weeks in Poland and Stalin took 105 days more than three times as long in Finland. So the damage was severe and the press played quite an important role in siding with the Finns and blackening the image of the Soviet Union. Whether Stalin felt that this was a price that he paid as opposed to this was just how the quote bourgeois press always treated the Soviet Union is a separate question. But sympathy for your cause and support for you internationally is a very important factor in global affairs, and the Soviet Union's stock went down, even though they won a victory in the war in the end.
2: The 105-day war in the middle of a very harsh winter ended with the Moscow Peace Treaty, dated on 12th of March, 1940, before the plans in Paris and London to send forces to assist Finland became more concrete. It, for instance, forced Finland to cede land more than 10% of its territory to the Soviet Union. However, Finland maintained its independence and was not
1: occupied. Finland's resistance was heroic and remarkable. And they surprised Stalin with their ability to hold out for as long as they held out. But it was not a victory for the Finns militarily on the battlefield. They paid a very heavy price for the Soviet invasion in terms of lives and territory lost. They did, however, show the world some asymmetric or guerrilla tactics that were extremely effective in stymieing the Soviets. The main thing they showed was national unity and resolve. And in warfare, the battlefield is critical, the technology is critical, the generalship is critical, You win the battlefield on the battlefield, but you also win with national resolve, a sense of unity, and the ability to keep the home front completely behind the war effort. This is something that Stalin unintentionally, unwittingly caused on the Finnish side with his behavior, and it's a key part of Finnish resistance, and it's a key lesson for anybody who might contemplate going to war.
2: And what were some of those Stalin's mistakes that he did?
1: Uh, Stalin's principal mistake was not to understand that he lacked credibility in diplomatic negotiations. From his point of view, he was negotiating in good faith with the Finns, offering not false uh, pretext for eventual conquest, but territorial exchange. He was demands that he put to the Finns, the Finns felt that this was gangster-like behavior. From Stalin's point of view, he was being sincere. He was attempting to negotiate a deal. But the way he went about it, and the way he ruled the Soviet Union, and his actions in murdering his own loyal elites and the so-called terror, undermined any possible trust or credibility in Stalin as a negotiator. He made additional mistakes in terms of how he organized the original invasion. He made mistakes in uh, forming the puppet government, which boxed him in. There were a whole host of mistakes. But of course, Stalin didn't pay the price personally for those mistakes. The Finnish people paid the price for those mistakes, and the Soviet people and the Soviet army paid the price.
2: Suomi.
5: Finland.
2: We are near the end of this episode of the Somme Finland podcast on winter war. Thank you Kim Rentola, Stephen Kotkin, David Hogan and Petteri Seppala, for your time and sharing your expertise. And thank you for listening. Next episode of the Suomi Finland podcast comes from our colleagues in the Consulate General of Finland in Los Angeles. Then you will learn all about a man called Tom of Finland. My name is Sato Järveläinen. It has been my pleasure to be your audio guide through all things about winter war. Now let's give the last words to Colonel Seppala. From the Finnish defense forces perspective what did Finland learn after the winter war? Oh I think what
4: we learned that we we have a chance against any enemy to defend Finland. So that was probably both mentally and tactically the the basic basic message that we got out of them. When there is a security issues we we try to use the the whole resources of our society to be able to solve those challenges and, and win those issues. And this was the name of the game already during the Winter War. If you are clever enough, if you are skillful enough, if you are tactically educated enough, and if you play as a team, uh, you can stand against much more powerful uh, enemies.